0: I went to Nyack College, which is a small Christian college. It's the school in our denomination, the flagship school of our denomination um, in Nyack, New York. And when I graduated, I graduated with a degree in comparative religion, and I thought for sure I was going to go work in the nonprofit world and doing maybe disaster relief or something like that. But as it turned out, God didn't see fit for that to be happening when we first uh, graduated and and got married. And uh, I ended up taking a job. With a childhood friend of mine. His dad had started a small company, and we were making cryogenic pumps for liquid nitrogen, liquid oxygen. I had basic plumbing ability, and they were like, That's good enough. We need labor, and you're a warm body, so come and work at this small family business. And uh, I went, and I, I learned a lot, and, and I grew from my time there. And, but there was a guy there when I started, and I've shared some of this before at some point, I'm sure. Um, there was a guy who, who worked there. His name was uh, Mike, older guy, gruff, you know, like. Harley riding dude, um, but he was kind to me and and helped me grow in my job there. I ended up being there for five miserable years, um, but but in my time there, he he really did help me uh, grow in my abilities in the company and being able to build different panels and pumps and do all these things and go out on service calls and you know I was going to Long Island for 14 hour days where I was working on vaporizers and doing all these things. I was like I just never imagined myself doing any of these things, right? And it is not nearly as cool as I just made it sound. All right. So it was like dirty, like weld supply shops and stuff. But anyway, Mike, Mike had this ability to teach me um, in his own gruff way uh, about what we were building and what we were doing. And, and eventually started handing things off to me, and I was managing my own projects. And he, he helped me overcome my doubts in myself, made me believe that when I went out in the field to fix things, that even if I couldn't, I could call him and, and he could tell me what to do. He helped me fix the things that I broke in the shop or the pipes that I cut wrong or whatever, bent the tubing wrong. Like he knew how to fix it and all these things. And and, and he started to to call me to something greater into these bigger projects that got handed off to me. Um, And and he believed in me despite my inadequacies or what my perceived inadequacies um, and empowered me to go and do more than I thought I could um, despite the fact that I hated it and couldn't wait to get out of there. Um, And and we ended up overseas because of that five years of training and misery. Uh, But anyway... What we're going to talk about today in Exodus 4 is this idea of, of Moses being called by God to do something that he didn't think he could do, that God believed enough in him to work through him, as it were, uh, to, to overcome his inadequacies, to be part of a deliverance of these people of Israel who were stuck in Egypt. Exodus, if you remember so far in this narrative, Exodus in chapter 1, we see that Pharaoh in Egypt, the king of Egypt, has, has grown wary and concerned about the fact that the Israelites are getting stronger and stronger, and there's more and more of them, and, and he ends up putting them in bondage, in slavery, so he can keep them suppressed, and, and then when he sees that that's not working, he starts to give out this edict to the midwives that they're going to kill the newborn baby boys so that the population doesn't grow. And then when that doesn't work, he calls on all of Egyptians to throw the baby boys uh, away to destroy them so that the population can't grow. And we see that out of that uh, genocide, out of infanticide, out of that comes Moses. Moses is rescued from the river in the ark, as it were, of of protection for him. And and he's rescued and and he goes on to think that maybe he can deliver his people because he sees the bondage that they're in and and he ends up killing an Egyptian guy, right, on behalf of one of them. And then they people turn on him and they reject him and he is pushed aside and he runs to Midian where, where he ends up getting married and he becomes a shepherd and he's there for 40 years. Has a wife, has kids, he's a sojourner there in Midian and, and that's just where he lives now. But in the midst of that, he's wandering around the backside of the desert one day and he runs into this bush that refuses to be consumed by the fire that is burning through it. And it's just staying on fire and it, he catches his eye and he's like, I should go look at that. And he does, and he goes and he looks at this thing, and out of, the, out of the, this flaming fire comes this voice of God who speaks to him and calls him and says, I'm calling you to go back to your people. I'm calling you to go back into Egypt after all these years and to be part of delivering them out of slavery. And as we just sung about, Moses is like, I don't know. I, I don't know that I, I'm not. And God's like, you're right, you're not, but I am. And I'm calling you to this. And so today, this narrative continues in Exodus 4 of of Moses continuing in this dialogue with God, speaking from this burning bush. Uh, Moses is, I assume, still barefooted at this point because he's on holy ground, walking around in that kitty litter soil, right, the thorns, and just he's standing before this holy God, this flaming bush that's not being consumed. And and God has just told him, I'm calling you to go, and you're going to lead these people out of Egypt in victory, and you're going to come back here, and you're going to worship me at this mountain. You're going to leave there in such victory, high-handed victory, that the Egyptians are going to be paying you to leave. They're going to be giving you their goods and their wealth to go, which is what we see happen later in the Exodus. If you turn to Exodus 4, we'll kind of pick up just, it's like in the middle of this dialogue. God has just told him all these good things that are going to happen. And it says, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The, the, really, in the Hebrew, really what it says is, but look, they're going to, he's like declarative about it. The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied, or you know, like a shepherd's staff, right? Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, Stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand again. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. So you can picture this, right? He he sticks it inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Put your hand back inside your cloak, he said. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. It's healed. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile. This means he has to go back to Egypt. (laughs) Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground, which we end up seeing as one of the plagues, right? But Moses replied to the Lord, "'Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you've been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish.' The Lord said to him, "'Who placed a mouth on humans? (laughs) "'Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? "'Is it not I, the Lord? "'Now go!' I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, Please, Lord, send someone else. Again, the Hebrew here is actually kind of nebulous. It seems like what he says is Please, Lord, pray, send whomever you want. Please, Lord, send somebody else. That gets the gist of it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? Narrative now introduces that he's got a brother. Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he is on his way now to meet you. Oh, what a coincidence. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as a God to him. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. It's like, by the way, take this thing before you go. Then Moses went back to his father-in-law Jethro and said to him, Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt and see if they are still living. Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now in Midian the Lord told Moses, Return to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took God's staff in his hand. The Lord instructed Moses, When you go back to Egypt, make sure you do before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put within your power. But I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. And you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refused to let him go. Look, I am about to kill your firstborn son. God wants to bring deliverance to his people. And he has a calling for Moses in this case. He has a calling for you and me. He wants to bring us into deliverance. And I believe that we can bring him our doubts and trust him. In this story, the origin of deliverance is where? With who? Who does it reside with? God, right? With Yahweh. He is the one who says, I'm going to battle Pharaoh. I am going to do these things to him. You're going to use my staff to do these things before him. Even his hardened heart. Pharaoh's hardened heart has its origin in God. But God's desire is for deliverance for his people. And this is all rooted in his covenant love that goes back generations. And it brings, he brings it out here in the midst of this. He says, here's what you're going to tell Pharaoh. Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son. This is the relationship that God, the father, wants with his people. It's like a son, like a daughter, like, this, these are my children. He says, Israel is my firstborn son, and it is, it is my desire to deliver them out of this slavery, out of this brokenness that they're stuck in in Egypt. God's desire is for deliverance. But Moses, Moses is stuck in his man-based fears. Did you catch this? It's pretty clear. Five different times, he's like, here's why this is bad. Here's why this is bad. Here's why I'm afraid of this. This is, I can't do this. I don't know about five different times. Things come out of him that are all based in his flesh, in his humanness of his inadequacies. And I think what's interesting is he doesn't really protest. I'm going to have to go and do this before the strongest empire in the world. Do you notice that? That that's not really what's going on. That's not really what's coming out of him. What's what's coming out of him? I'm afraid of the people. I'm afraid the people won't be with me. I'm afraid they're not going to believe me. I'm afraid that I don't have the ability. The Hebrew says, I'm heavy-tongued. I'm heavy-mouthed. Hebrews is Hebrew, it's, it's a hard language to translate, but it's really rich. I'm heavy-tongued. I'm heavy-mouthed. I don't know. Perhaps he, perhaps he was never a good Hebrew speaker because he hadn't been raised for very long in that environment. Maybe he is concerned about not being able to speak whatever Egyptian dialect. Maybe his people knew. Maybe he had a speech impediment of some sort. We don't don't know, but he's just saying, I can't do it. I can't speak. These people aren't going to receive this. They're not going to believe me. And he's afraid that they won't be with him. Ever felt like that? Feel alone? Feel like they're not going to go with me on this one? I have. Maybe you felt this. And I love, like I talked about earlier, I love that the way he starts talking to God, I I don't love it. I find it comical is what I mean. He's like, but look, they will. He's, He's seeing and he's sensing with his eyes, with his mind, with his human perception, what is possible. He's walking by sight right? This is what I can see, and it's not good. So therefore, I don't want to do it. I'm scared of it. it. freaks me out. I don't want to be a part of it. He's walking by sight. And you notice he goes on to predict the future. They're not going to believe me. How often do we do that in our fear? We predict the disaster scenario. We're like, here's how it's going to go. I know it. This is what's going to happen. You see, when we put ourselves in the place of God, I know all things. I know God's called me to this, but I know how it's going to go. It's going to be bad. I can't be part of it. He's not acting in faith. He's not seeing things with God's eyes, with God's heart. And after questions one through four, he finally gets to send whomever you will, whatever, God. It's this reluctance. To go along with what God is calling him to. Saying, I don't want to be a part of it. Send somebody else. How often we do this. I do this. When I feel like God's calling me to something. And I just throw all these doubts at God. All these fears at God. All the ways that I can see this playing out. And it's not good. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. But how often we do this. So the question for me is, please hear me here. Do you, do we believe in how much God believes in us? Now, I'm not saying look at us in our human capacity. Look at all we can do. I'm not saying we're our own God's. I'm saying when God calls us to something, do we actually believe in us as much as he believes in us to work through us, to use his providential power to do something through us again, not on our own, but from him. Do we, do we believe when, when God gives us scriptural commands, we're always like, I know oftentimes we're like, I want God to just tell me what to do. He's actually told us a whole lot that we have in scripture. There's a lot in there that he's commanded of what the full life looks like. Do we actually believe him when we read in there? I, I can do that because he's going to empower me to do it. When, <laughs> so my journey has been graduate. think I'm going to work in a nonprofit five years in a cryogenic place. Overseas in Jordan for a year. And I was like, okay, good. We've made it. Then we were there for like six months. We're like, no, we have not. This is not we are not living here forever. This is not our calling right now. but we're like we're going to go home and I'm going to work in a nonprofit. I went home and I applied to all these different places, found out nonprofits do not pay well for a family of five had multiple opportunities that like, the jobs got shut down, so I wasn't able to work there. so I ended up for working two more years uh, at a place that sells really expensive sinks and faucets, and when I say really expensive I mean like faucets are like a thousand dollars and up, like just in. It's insane to me. If you have one of those, I'm not judging you. But to me, it was just like out of my realm. I ended up working there for two years. I hated it. So for those of you who think like, my pastor doesn't know my life. I do. (laughs) It was hard. I hated it. But in that, God taught me things that I never could have learned elsewhere. And there was a day where God called me and said, I'm calling you to love these people. You think you want to work at a nonprofit? You think you want to go work at a church? Everybody's ornery, Jim. You're going to have to learn how to love them. But man, that command was hard. The command to purity in the midst of a really messed up culture where guys at lunch were like, hey, look at this porn. They're like, what? I'm eating a sandwich. Like, what, what is happening right now in the lunchroom? But the call to purity in the midst of that was like, but then you're the weirdo, right? If you're like, no, I don't want to take part in that. The negative culture, negativity about the boss, negativity in the things that were said about the admins, then you'll take part in that and you're like, what, are you with them? But God's command is to be a bringer of peace, to be a lover of people, to be pure, right? But It took some level of commitment over time of God working on me to say, yeah, I'm committed to this. I'm committed to this. I believe you, what you're calling me to, that this is the better life. I don't know how it's going to turn out, feels like it's not going to go great, but this is what you're calling me to. See, God is, God is on, a, on a rescue mission, on a deliverance mission, and he calls every one of us to be a part of it. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower, to be saved and called into a mission of saving. We don't do the saving, but we participate in it with God. so you might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not called. Yes, you are. You are called first to salvation and then to the mission of going out and telling people about the salvation that is found in Jesus, about the love that is found in Jesus, about the full life that is found in Jesus. We're all on that, either on the journey to salvation or the journey of telling others about him. So what doubts, what fears do you have about answering that call in the midst of your sphere of influence? What do you look at and say, yeah, but but look, God, what about this? I can't, I don't want to, no, I don't, this is what's going to happen. It's bad. I don't want to do it. What wrestling matches do you have with God? Those, those things like, I can't love this person in that way because they will, whatever, fill in the blank. I can't. I can't turn down that job. I can't turn down partnership. I can't turn down the, the bonus or the raise or the accolades because if I do, then they won't offer it to me again or whatever. So I'm going to work myself to death because I can't turn it down. I can't trust God with blank because I know that he will... Whatever. Does your sight override your faith? What you can see in your limited human perspective, does it override your faith to be part of God's call? Or to even just receive salvation in the first place? But it is God's desire. The origins of deliverance rest in God. And our fears, man, they come from us. God says, I want to do more than that. I'm calling you to something more than that. And I can do it. Through you? Would you let me? Would you walk with me in this? And so God provides the answer to Moses's doubts. So can I say this? there to be a whole talk about this. God can handle your doubts. I'm not saying we will never have them. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. If you do, you're a lousy Christian. But go to God with them and say, help me in my unbelief. I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. And so Moses does that, and God provides the means to answer the call. Did you catch this? God says, I will provide the words. I will give you the ability to speak. Who gave you, who put a mouth on your face in the first place? God says, I can give you the words to speak. I will be your mouth. I will instruct you what to say. And God is going to provide the means. He provides the words. He's going to provide the means. He says, here, here's, take that staff, and you're going to be able to do these things. Now, I've never had a promise like that, but, man, that'd be neat, wouldn't it? You're going to be able to do these things. God provides the means of how he can demonstrate the reality of God to these people that haven't seen him in 40-plus years and don't trust him. He says, I've called you to this. I will give you the means to demonstrate it, to convince the people to listen, to obey And then when when he gets there, that third thing of turning the the water from the Nile into blood, it actually happens, followed by all these other plagues. God says, I will give you the means to demonstrate my, my providential deliverance for these people through you. And he says, I'll provide a helper. I will provide a helper for you. Coincidentally, after Moses protests the fifth time, the text says, God gets angry and says, don't you have a brother, Aaron? I'm like, of course God knows this. And doesn't he speak really well? Again, how would Moses know this? I, he wouldn't, right? He hasn't seen him in 40 years. Moses has this older brother, Aaron. He's a couple years older than him. God providentially has Aaron already on the way to see Moses. He's already on the way to meet him there at the mountain of God. In the commentary I was reading by Chris Wright, it says it was anticipatory providence. Isn't that good of God? I'm doubting God. He's like, I know you would. I've also got this happening, you know? Like, it's incredible. This, he provides this brother who preexisted Moses in the story. A brother who, who could make up for what Moses lacked. A brother who was coming to be united with him, sent by God, anticipatory Providence. God, in his anticipatory providence towards us, says, I invite you into this calling and I can provide for you in ways that you couldn't even imagine. Things are already at work. And how good is this? Things are already at work that we don't even know about to deal with our inabilities and our inadequacies and our doubts and our fears. This is the goodness of God. The gospel for us today, friends, is this. God's deliverance whether it's for Israel or for you and me today, God's deliverance is not based on man's ability. God's deliverance is not based on man's ability, not anything you can do, not anything I can do. And it seems foolish. It seems counterintuitive. It seems silly the way that God does it. But in Scripture, we see again and again That God calls the humble, the broken, the weak, the repentant, and says, I'm going to do something in and through you. It's not the people you would expect. Paul goes after this theme in his letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 1, he says this. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to actually bring to nothing what is viewed as something. You hear the great irony of God? He takes the little things, the insignificant things, the broken things, the things that don't amount to much and says, I'm going to do something incredible through them. Most notably, Jesus. God, why does God do that? Why does God take the insignificant, the powerless, the weak, the meek to do something big and bold? To prove that it's not from them in the first place. It's from Him. It's by His might, by His strength, by His power, by His love. Why? All for His glory. It's not about what we can do in the first place. It's about what he's doing in and through us. And in the story of the gospel, we see is that Jesus is the mediator who comes onto the scene to demonstrate and to bring about God's deliverance. Jesus, who comes from humble beginnings, born in a stable, laid in a trough, comes from poverty, is homeless, is a refugee on the run. And God says, perfect. This will demonstrate my glory. This will demonstrate my power. This will demonstrate my love. And Jesus, who walks with God, who hears God's words, over and over again we see this in John. He hears from God and then he gives it to the people like Moses was supposed to. He's one with the Father and gives the Father's words to the people. God's words are in his mouth, delivered to the people. Jesus, who goes and confronts the ultimate Pharaoh of Satan, of sin, of death, who speaks boldly on behalf of God's children to free them. Jesus, who, when confronted by evil in the garden, when they say, we're looking for Jesus, he says, I am him. Boom, and the guys fall down. They're blown away by the strength of the words of I am. And the people, like Moses feared, Jesus experiences the people rejected him. And he ends up alone. The great I am becomes the rejected one. Jesus, like Moses, says to God, I'm scared. I don't know that I want it this way. But he doesn't say, send somebody else. What does he say? Not my will be done, but yours be done. Jesus is the better Moses, friends, who will lead his people out of exile, out of slavery, out of being stuck in that horrible situation, into new life. So, Some questions for us today to think about. Maybe you can talk about these in community group, talking about somebody else. See, plug for community groups. This is why they matter to me. Because unless you go from here and do something with this, it's meaningless. You just heard nice words. You're like, oh, that's nice. Some of you will do that. And that's okay. But I pray that some of you will say, okay, but I want to do something with this now. I want to do something with these words. Talk to somebody about it. Actually wrestle with these things. How is God calling you today? How's God calling you today? Because we're all called by God. He's calling all of us. His voice goes out, He still speaks. How is God calling you today? Perhaps, perhaps it's to what Christians call salvation. It's actually being rescued out of slavery, out of sin, out of the, the punishment of death and separation from God. And with Jesus, the better Moses is saying, I'm leading you out through my death on the cross and through my resurrection. Come be part of this. Come be part of this. Proving it's by his ability, not by ours, not by yours. There's nothing you can do to save yourselves. There's nothing I can do to save myself. It's all through the ability of Jesus on my behalf. So maybe he's calling you to salvation today, saying, Come be part of this full life. Would you wrestle with that? Go to God with your doubts. Tell him what you're afraid of. But let him speak in response, too. Look to the sign of the cross proving God's love and his ability to save you. Or perhaps for the majority of us, God is calling you to join him on mission to love to holistic care of the world around us of the people we come in contact with to help restore humanity in its image of God that it was meant to have. Are you walking by faith or are you limited by your own sight of what you can see? Are you only seeing your own future, or are you seeing your future as part of the mission of God and what He's calling you to in this restoration, this deliverance of humanity? Are you? I do not say this to condemn anyone. Are you scared to speak the truth of the love of God to the people around you? I am. <laughs> are you frightened to speak the truth of of God's deliverance through Christ? Can I tell you, friends, that God has sent you a helper? That God has sent us a helper? The better Aaron, the Holy Spirit, who God in his anticipatory providence said, I know you're not going to be able to do it. Here he is. Here's a piece of me that I'm going to deposit in you to give you the ability to speak. Luke 12, and in multiple places in John, Jesus tells us that the counselor, the Holy Spirit, is going to come, and you're going to be brought before people to speak, and it's going to be scary, and you're not going to know what to say. You're going to be some inept little fisherman who never thought you were going to be doing anything like this, and the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Has it ever happened for you? It's happened to me, man. Words are just coming out, and I'm like, okay, there it is. Does that to me when I preach sometimes? Words are just coming out. and like, It's like an out-of-body experience. It's like I'm processing things, I'm reading things, and words are just coming out. I really, believe that, I really believe that something divine happens when we give ourselves to God's mission. We say, I'm scared, help me, here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk to this person, and I don't know what I'm going to do, Jesus. I don't know what I'm going to say. Help me. And he says, I will. I'll give you the words to say, The better brother, the better Aaron, and the Holy Spirit has come to fill you and to give you the words to say. Are you feeling alone on this journey? Feeling like "Ah, nobody else is with me on this? I kind of want to give up. I don't know. Jesus says, I've sent you the Holy Spirit to be the comforter, to counsel you, to pray for you when you don't know what to pray, to console you, to exhort you, to build you up, to give you the words of Jesus, to remind you of his love for you. Have you given yourself to the Spirit? Have you turned yourself over to him to say, fill me, anoint me, give me the words, give me the comfort? Do you start your day? Do you end your day saying, fill me, anoint me, bless me, give me the words, give me the comfort, please? Friends, we go, like Moses, we go in God's calling. Not because of anything we ought to offer, not because of our great power. We go in God's calling, his mission to restore humanity, to deliver people from sin, from death, from brokenness. And we go carrying the cross of Christ. Like Moses, God says, bring the staff as sign, as proof of my ability. Friends, we go as Christians carrying the cross, maybe not literally, but we, we go carrying the cross as a sign of God's deliverance, of God's power, of God's redemption, of God's restoration. We go carrying the new staff, God. Proof of God's love and his ability, not ours. Not ours. To be part of God's restoration project. Friends, God wants to bring us, bring you to deliverance. He wants to bring you to a new calling for your life. That means more to you than more purpose than you ever could have thought. Will you bring him your doubts? Will you bring him your trust? Say you've demonstrated it for me in Jesus. Let's go. Would you pray with me?